0: Hi, my name is Natalie Orofiuchi and I'm delighted to welcome you to the Women in Scripture podcast. This podcast has been inspired by the God Who Speaks campaign. I will be inviting lots of different women to come and speak about the women in the Bible who inspire them and who speak to their hearts today. So for this episode, I'm delighted to introduce you to Jilly. Jilly, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I
1: originally trained as a midwife and a nurse, and I went abroad to Nicaragua, met my husband there, who was doing um, forestry aid work, reforestation. And we got married and lived abroad in various countries in Central America, asia and the caribbean and then we came home and i was one of the managers of a fair trade shop in oxford and i think probably we managed to do more good there than we did anywhere else because it was just an amazing place still is an amazing place where we can really help lots of projects overseas in a very individual and personal way so That's how I spent a lot of my life, and I was a cradle Catholic, and my husband became a Catholic, oh, not so long ago, maybe 20 years ago, and we go to a Dominican church in Oxford, which we love. They could do wonderful sermons there, so I heard about the person I'm going to talk about today.
0: So who are you going to talk about? Which woman?
1: Well, in the book of Daniel, there's a little narrative in right at the end in chapter 13 about a woman who we read about every Lent and who's very important in the church, even though her story is very short. And her name is Susanna. And she's a woman who risks death rather than violate her religious and moral integrity.
0: Wow, a very impressive woman. So what in particular impresses you about Susanna?
1: Well, there are two levels really to Susanna. At first, I thought it was rather like a Me Too story. She's a married woman with children like me. She's probably a bit richer than me. She has a lovely garden and a, with a <laughs> swimming, not a swimming pool, but probably a lake or something to swim in. And she has servants. And she is a God-fearing woman who always follows her faith in, in all things, had nothing against her. But then there were two judges who saw her beauty, and lusted after her, and Mm. tried to rape her. And she calls out to God, and again and again, in this little narrative, it explains how God-fearing she was. She followed the law in all the things, and rather than be attacked by the men, she shouted out. She, She was modest in everything she did. She trusted God. Her family respected her. Everyone respected her. But these nasty men, they sort of had a, got a plot, they waited for her for the right minute, and then they accused her, when she screamed out, of being in an affair with a young man who'd come, rather than be blamed themselves for trying to rape her. So then she's put on trial, and someone calls Daniel, young Daniel, comes and interrogates these two men separately. And because one of them said they saw her under this bushy tree that's a tiny gum tree where the leaves fall off probably in the hot season, and the other is an enormous oak that's evergreen. Obviously, they had different stories, and so then her innocence was proved. But I thought this is really actually interesting because for 3,000 years, men have accused women of being the ones that seduce the poor, innocent men. And you get, you know, Samson and Delilah and Jezebel, all these names of the wicked women. But if you actually look through the Old Testament, the laws against women are are absolutely horrible. If someone's raped, they have to marry the person who raped them. Or you get people like Tamar, who was raped by... Amnon and, and there was never justice for women they were just sort of thrown out as second-class citizens and treated however they could be and it really reflects what's happening in the world today up till to very recently where if a woman accused someone of rape even in the courts it was like well you were asking for it you're wearing a mini skirt you were doing this and it must be your fault and so you know, in some countries, women have to totally cover themselves up because they're so seductive just when they're walking about, probably thinking about the latest knitting pattern or what's for dinner. And men say, oh, they're being seductive. And so it's a story in a way about how women have always been treated and people believe the men rather than the women themselves. Even when they're very noble, righteous people with no nothing against them, then it's always the men that have the last say and their word is taken. So I felt it's it was a brave woman who sort of stood up and just trusted God. And she said, I trust God to deliver me from this. And that I thought, an inspiring woman. <laughs>
0: Yes, it is extraordinary when you read the narrative in the in the book of Daniel. It tells us that these two, well, the the men would go and meet at the at Susanna's husband's house, obviously her home, and they would leave at lunchtime. I think it is, and um, they noticed Susanna. And it's, it tells us that they both began to lust after her, but didn't tell each other. She was obviously a very yeah. beautiful a very beautiful woman, a Godfearing woman who was very beautiful, but she would have been veiled too, as she was speaking. Now, we know she was very covered. but when she is brought before the court, I notice that these two men insist that she is unveiled. And that is a further violation because she came in with she came in with her family. Everybody was shocked that she would be accused of what they accused her of because it didn't sit with her how everybody had experienced knowing Susanna before. Yeah. And there she is before the court and her modesty is removed again by being in, they insist that the veil is removed for the trial. Yeah.
1: I think it's it's very similar to what people do verbally in trials of women mm. who are accused or who accuse someone of raping them. They verbally say this woman is, you know, a loose woman or whatever because she was wearing this or that or the other. Well, I think sometimes when we're young, we wear inappropriate clothes maybe (laughs) and you can't be accused of, of seducing men just because you're wearing something that's inappropriate because your mind is probably far away from that you know you're thinking about something totally different but that will be evidence against you so on that level I think a lot of people who read this story might think that's happened to me, that's happened throughout the Old Testament. That happens to in so many countries in such a really more drastic way than it happens here. And you hear a lot of people are murdered because they're they're having disgraced the family in one way or another. So I think even though this story is quite old, it still reverberates among us because The same thing happens all the time.
0: It does. But I do like her witness as well because she prays out loud, doesn't she? When when the um when the sentence of hers is given, she prays. I can't think of the words, but something about I don't know whether you have them in front of you. She
1: says, Eternal God, you know all secrets and everything before it happens. You know that they have given for us evidence against me. And now I must die, innocent as I am, of everything their malice has invented against me. It comes from Psalm 33, Mm -hmm. and I think um, it's quoted in various prayers that have, have since happened. And so I think that was the sort of original idea of Me Too. But then I heard this wonderful sermon by Richard Conrad, who's one of our Dominicans. And he said that he'd been reading or listening to a visiting scholar, Catherine, I don't know how you pronounce this, Katz, explanation about Susanna and why it became so important. Because if you look at it in our Bibles, it's in the deuterocanonical books of the Catholic and Orthodox churches. And it's a tiny little page or two. And yet it's become so amazingly important in the very early church, right from the beginning. And there are masses of wood carvings and statues and paintings and things written about Susanna, not about Daniel so much <laughs> there, but She becomes the important person of this story. And even in Shakespeare, mentions her in The Merchant of Venice and Shakespeare's daughter is called Susanna. So right through history, but especially in the early church, she was really, really important. So why? Why was this story, which is quite superficially really about a woman being accused of something when she's innocent, but why? Was it so important to the early church? And this is why Catherine Katz's explanation is so important. So she says that when in very early church, obviously, they were looking back at the Old Testament, at the prophecies um, that would foretell Jesus's coming. And this story of Susanna was written maybe 100 or 200 years. Well, it became part of the Septuagint 200 years before Jesus. So as they were looking back after Jesus to find things that foretold his coming, there were also types of people that represented Jesus. And one of the lovely things is that Susanna is one of these types. Even though she's a woman, she becomes, I think, one of the best types of foretelling what was going to happen to Jesus and I think Matthew himself was very aware of this because they used the Greek version of the Bible and they had Jesus quoting from the Greek translation of the Bible and I think he is sort of bringing forth this type of foretelling about Jesus from the story of Susanna so for instance Susanna's story begins in a garden where she's recommitted herself to obey God's law despite the threat of death. And Jesus's passion begins in a garden where in the face of death, he recommits himself to fulfill his father's will. So then you get two false witnesses testified against Susanna at her trial and two false witnesses testified against Jesus. At his and Susanna was unjustly condemned to death. So was Jesus. The injustice of Susanna's condemnation was shown up when Daniel cried out prophetically, "I am innocent of this woman's death." And the injustice of Jesus's condemnation was shown up when Pilate declares hypocritically, "I am innocent to this righteous man's blood." And in the face of death, Susanna cries out to God with a loud voice and was vindicated. And in the face of death, Jesus cries out to his father with a loud voice and was vindicated, but not by being rescued from being dying, but by being raised from the dead so as to complete the work of our redemption for which he had come. So we see that there are these very strong comparisons that Matthew uses In his account of Christ's passion, that really Susanna's story has reflected these. And so did did that make a difference to the early church? Well, yes, it does, because you look at the early church fathers. And for instance, Origen, who lived 185 to 253, he received the story as part of the divine book and censured wicked presbyters who did not recognize its authenticity, remarking that the story was commonly read in the early church, even before him. He also noted that the story's absence in the Hebrew text, observing that it was hidden by Jews in some fashion, Origen's claim is reminiscent of Justin Martyr's charge that Jewish scribes removed certain verses from their scriptures when they were in competition between Jews and Christians. So they think that maybe after the Temple of Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, a lot of the Jewish literature was lost there too. And a lot of the Jews also had to flee and they went somewhere like Antioch. And so you would have had maybe Matthew and his church on one side of the road and you would have had a Jewish synagogue on the other. And they would both be competing for we've got the truth and we've got the truth. And so apparently, you know, some scriptures were emphasised to prove a point that yours is the right church and other scriptures were removed or not mentioned anymore and so apparently that happened and some of the Christians accused the Jews of removing stuff that they were worried would reflect that it was pointing to Christ and in fact we did something a little bit similar (laughs) because These books are deuterocanonicals, which are of secondary importance, but still of importance to the Bible. They were put at the back of the old King James version of the Bible, and it kept there. But included in those books is the Maccabees, and the Maccabees are under a Greek colonial power, the Hellenists, and then this little tribe of people, the Jews, who fight against the big colonisers and win. (laughs) And so when the British went out to the Caribbean, for instance, and had slaves, then they thought, well, we better make these slaves Christians after a bit. A lot of people thought they weren't even human, but then they thought, yes, they are human. We better make them Christians. So then they thought, hang on a minute. This story of the Maccabees about people rebelling against the big colonial power would be a very dodgy story to have in our Bible. And so they removed it after a bit. They removed the deuterocanonical books from the King James Bible. But funny enough, in Jamaica then, you have your Rastafarians who go back to Ethiopia. And in Ethiopia, they still have the Maccabees in their Bible. So these Rastas say, oh, the British, they stole the Maccabees from us. And, you know, so you get the same idea of how people have used the Bible or not used the Bible throughout the, the ages. And then also in the early church, Ambrose was writing about Jesus's silence before his accusers. And why should I speak of God? Susanna was silent and she conquered and her cause was better. she did not defend herself and she was proven in innocent. so Ambrose writing in the three or four hundreds he mentioned her and even Jerome who wasn't very convinced about putting the story of Susanna in the Bible he said however that she does appear as a learned woman and when he was discussing this chapter in Daniel 13, prompting him to write of the responsibility of parents to educate their daughters as well as their sons. So I think that's pretty amazing from that time of year.
0: It is amazing because we still talk about the need to educate girls in the world today when you read about Susanna she was an educated woman she was educated in the law which was unusual then so she knew how to respond and she knew the consequences of the response that she gave to the accusation as well she fully understood what was going to happen to her
1: And she must have memorized a lot of it because she quoted from the Bible herself, or we have it written that she quoted. So she must have treasured a lot of these psalms, I think, in her Mm. heart and was able to bring forth the right things at the right time and use them in her prayers. So I, I think as well, this is quite helpful when we're in a really, really sticky situation. It's really hard to know. How to pray, but having prayers like the Psalms that you're familiar with really, really helps in being able to use that as a prayer. And I think among the Psalms, you find every sort of prayer Mm. that you could possibly want. You can find praise, and you can find anger, and you can find thanksgiving, and so all these things. And it's lovely that Susanna was able to quote this in her moment of
0: need. Yes and that's the beauty of the Psalms they can speak to every emotion and feeling and season and needs that we have and sometimes we don't have our own words or feel capable of them so the beauty of being able to access the Psalms to call upon them to use a prayer is really important.
1: I think so and I think they're so varied that I find that there's always something there, some funny bits. I just love it. I love the Psalms and praising God too. You know, we run out of words. I do in English to be able to praise God. But I think you go through the Psalms and you just find so many wonderful ways to praise God. So, yeah, I love the Psalms too. I find the idea that in the early church, people like Suzanne it was quite okay to have a woman who was a type of Christ I find that is very comforting and I think the women actually had a far bigger role in the early church and gradually let's say the men have taken <laughs> over <horror> a lot <laughs> maybe we're not allowed to say that but it seemed to me that the idea like Saint Paul says you know there's no war gentile or greek or slave or jew or whatever man or woman they had that maybe it was just an idealistic way of looking at it but that was the way i think that the early church started off and i think you have pictures of the early church where men and women together rather like in the jewish um, sabbath they were presiding over communion service together. And then you have stuff about Junior in um, Romans, I think it's Romans 17, where there's someone called Junior who is an apostle and they changed it to Junius because they can't have a, a woman apostle. But um, there are little controversies and little things that make you feel maybe when they went out two by two, to evangelize it wasn't necessarily two men who went out but it was a man and his wife that went out and that would have been fitting because the woman could have talked to the women and the men to the men you know to me it makes a lot of sense we don't know but Mm. I feel that we need these strong women to have as examples for other women especially maybe in countries where women have a far less bigger profile in in life than they do here where we fought a lot for our rights
0: yes and sometimes we we can forget that so it's great that you're reminding us that you know women do have fought for their rights in this country where we live but that's not necessarily the case for women in other parts of the world who live completely different lives so i'll just give you one last question, probably. <laughs> but what would you say that Susanna can teach us today?
1: Well, I can't just one mm. one answer, but I think one of the things is to read the Bible because I think the more familiar we become with the Bible, the more it helps us. It helps us with our prayer life. It helps us with our understanding of how we've developed in our thinking it gives us ideas about laws, about also the foretelling, the prophesying about the coming of Jesus and how it wasn't suddenly Jesus came into the world. So Susanna's example of knowing the Bible, I think, is very important for us today. And I think there was a time when, as Catholics, we weren't very good at reading the Bible. And now... There are far more Bible studies and ways of reading the Bible, more translations. So to me, that's one of the things. And the other thing is, you know, you stand up for what you believe in and you trust God. So when things are really, really desperate and you feel you're all alone or things are in trouble, trust God. And amazing, amazing things happen.
0: Well, that is fantastic and great advice. Thank you very much, Julie. And we always want you to get to know these women more and to pray with them yourselves. So if you go to the book of Daniel and chapter 13 and read and pray with Susanna and see what she tells you. But once again, thank you, Julie, for a fascinating insight to Susanna. Very welcome. Thank you for asking. Thank you very much for listening to the Women in Scripture podcast with me, Nastia Ravici. If you would like to have some extra reading and resources, then go to the Archdiocese of Birmingham website and look at the Women in Scripture podcast page. To enjoy hearing more of the Women in Scripture podcast, then please do subscribe to the podcast on either Spotify iTunes or SoundCloud. I hope you can join us next time. Thank you.